take your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to be pre. Well, I'm going to. I've got a lot of verses today, so buckle your seatbelts, and we'll try to get through all of this. Let me read to you to start off with Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. It says, "For I know the thoughts or the plans that I think toward you," says the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil." to give you a future to, uh, and hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. The Bible says that God has a plan for your life and for my life. He had a plan for the life of Jesus Christ, and I don't think Anywhere in the universe is there a better model for <clears throat> the worth and the workability of God's miraculous plan for his children than we have in Jesus Christ. I believe that we see in him God's work and God's plan for us very clearly and uh, the Second Adam, which is Jesus Christ, demonstrates the power and the purpose of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus demonstrates the power and the purpose of God as well as the devil in the book of Genesis demonstrated the failure of man. And I want to share with you this morning a fourfold secret of Jesus' relationship to God and to the plan of God and the plan that he has for you. Jesus lived by uh, spiritual principles and by studying them and applying those principles to our own life, we can discover the secret to successful Christian living. And by the way, we do begin our emphasis on Christmas today, and I want to uh, thank Amber Allen for the work. Didn't, doesn't she do a beautiful job? Hey Amen. I appreciate the work you put in so much, and I'm assuming you did it. Okay, Ruger. All right, buddy. And I think in the next few weeks we're going to have other... Poinsettia is up here. All right, man, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I just appreciate the work that Amber and Ruger do as they decorate our church for the different seasons. Amen? They do such a great job. All right, four lessons, four principles that I believe apply to Jesus. And because they apply to him, they apply to us too. If we are going to live that successful Christian life, if we're going to become everything that uh, God wants us to become, then we need to learn, we need to study these principles and apply them to our lives, even as Jesus did to his. And the first one is this, Jesus was born of the Father. Jesus was born 
of the, the, the Father. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And of course, the uh, angel had appeared to Mary. And in verse 30, 35, And the angel answered and said to her, because remember right before that, she said, how can this be? For I know not a man. And then in verse 35, this is what the angel said to her. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Jesus recognized, Jesus knew that he was the Son of God. This announcement was of the one and only virgin birth. If it wasn't for what happened here, that term would never have been uh, coined. And we have to understand that Jesus was the Son of God. Some question the validity of this announcement. Some people question the validity of the entire Bible, but the Bible does not question the validity of the virgin birth at all. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. May I say to you that in that day, in the day that Jesus was born, there is no way that Mary would have been highly favored of God, nor would she be blessed among women. Because in that day, the condition that Mary found herself in was punishable by death. They were outcasts. She and her offspring both would have been at the least outcast, and at the worst, they would have been put to death. Premarital sex was punishable by death, by stoning in the Old Testament. But here, the Bible teaches unequivocally that Jesus was begotten by the Father. He was the Word made flesh. Now, some say this is an impossibility, but there in verse 31, he said, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall be called Jesus. The Bible teaches that Jesus was begotten of the Father, and uh, though some people say that is impossible, the Bible also teaches that with God, all things are possible. Amen? With God, all things are possible. And that same principle, listen to me, this is the important part. That same principle is true for you and for me. When we are saved, we are born again. And that is as much a miraculous birth as was the birth of Jesus. When we are born again, God works a miracle in your life. 
because the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in us. The same principle that was true for Jesus is true of us. When we've been born of the Spirit, God, deity, comes to live within us. Now, just as Jesus' supernatural birth qualifies him or is a fulfillment of God's plan in him, your supernatural birth, your supernatural uh, being born again qualifies and fulfills that same plan for your life. That means the principle that Jesus lived by apply to us even as they applied to Jesus. And uh, being born again, we become candidates of the victorious, conquering life. The Bible teaches that as Christians, we are more than conquerors. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The only way, though, that you can experience that is Christ living in you. So he was born of the Father. If you are born again, you also have been begotten of the Father. He was born of the Father, and he was committed, number two, he was committed to do the Father's will. Now, to uh, find that, we need to turn over to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, and verse 31. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, and verse 34. You remember, this is the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. Before he met the Samaritan woman, they were there, and uh, they went to the city to get some food. And it says in verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Then skip down to verse 35. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The second principle was that Jesus' sole purpose was bound up in doing the will of God. In, Je in John 4, 31 and 35, we see here that he's not talking about the physical word. I've got to stay over here. He's not talking about the physical word. Uh, he's talking about what's going on in his spiritual life. You see, Jesus was, uh, he was uh, both man and God. And he's talking about the spiritual part of his life. He was bound up doing the will of God. His source of sustenance was to do God's will. Of course, he needed to eat food for his physical life, just like you do and just like I do. But his source of sustenance was to do God's will. Jesus had no plan apart from God's plan, and he sought no power apart from God's power. He was as physical as any of his disciples. He was as physical as you and I, but in his relationship with God, his obedience to him caused the spiritual aspect of his life 
to dominate the physical aspect of his life. Jesus said, even as the Father sent me, I send you. So even as Jesus was sent by the Father, we are sent by Christ. Jesus, just as Jesus had more to give than what he was, uh, his physical person possessed, so do we. Did you know that? You've got more to offer others than what your physical being possesses because you have the divine, living, Holy Spirit living within you and he gives us supernatural powers even as he did so to Jesus. We have a supernatural power to do supernatural work and that's because of Christmas. That's because of what happened on that first Christmas day when Jesus was born in the flesh and became a man so that we can become like God. He became like man so we could become like God. Jesus was committed, identified, available to the Father, and so should we be. Listen to this. Now, you might want to write this down. This is good. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this. When you, when I, when we are to Jesus, what Jesus was to the Father, then Jesus will be to us what the Father was to him. Did you get that? When we, when we are to Jesus... What Jesus was to the Father, then Jesus will be to us what the Father was to him. God completely in control of our lives. And he will be able to give us victory in whatever situation that we come in contact with. He gives us everything that we need To be victorious, to have victory in Jesus. And you say, well, Pastor, then why is it so many times we fail? Let me go back to that statement. When we are to Jesus what Jesus was to the Father, then Jesus will be to us what the Father was to him. If you want to have the victory that Jesus displayed every day in his life, then we need to be to Jesus what he was to the Father. Does that make sense? You say, Pastor, how does that happen? And we go to ver number uh, principle number three. Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. Turn over to John chapter 5 and verse 19. John chapter 5 and verse 19. It says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. In other words, Jesus said, I can do nothing in myself. I look to my Father and whatever I see my father do, 
that's what I do. Now, isn't that bit of a startling statement? I mean, it's not what the world would say would be what a leader should say. I mean, I don't know. The world says that the, that the leader is supposed to exude confidence, that he never lets them see his inadequacies or they will uh, begin to doubt him. You can't admit your weaknesses because then they will begin to question your leadership. That's, not, that's the world's way of looking at leadership, but it's not the way God looks at it. God says we see that Jesus admits that he doesn't have it. He admits it. He says, I, of myself, I can do nothing. See, this is as much about the Christian life as anything is because folks without Christ, we can do nothing. Without him giving us strength, without him giving us leadership, without him giving us direction, we can do nothing. See, the mature Christian life is not what the world thinks uh, mature uh, life is all about. It's just the opposite. If you can never admit the fact that you have needs, that you are needy, that you always can take care of things, that you always must be right, if you can't admit that you have need of help from God, you'll never be what God wants you to be. You know why? Because you will always have to produce. And the moment you fail to produce, you will be a failure. You see, if you think that it's all up to you, and folks, listen to me. You do not know anyone, including yourself, including me, that is always right, that can always do everything. We cannot do it on our own. We need to come to a place where we are dependent upon Jesus. Look in verse 30 again. John 5.30, it says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He says, I can't do it on my own. I can't do it just in my physical strength, my physical uh, acuity. I can't do it on my own. I need to see what the Father is doing. When we make Jesus to us what the Father was to him, we can't do it on our own. We have to see what Jesus is doing, and then we become involved with that. I can't do it. I don't have it. Jesus said, Jesus had a double vision. <laughs> you know, we think sometimes that double vision is a bad thing. But Jesus had a double vision that was a good thing. See, Jesus could see the spiritual aspects of things as well as the physical aspects of things. He could see both 
Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. Now, the fourth, Jesus said what he heard the Father saying. Look at verse 31. looking for it. If I bear witness if I bear bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. He says if I bear witness if if I just do what I say do, then it won't be true. I've got to bear witness of my father. I have to be when I hear God say something, that's when I say it. He's saying I can't depend on myself, my physical self, I need to depend on him. I need to let, uh, we, we need to put these two things together. All, what he said was this. He says, I do what I see the Father doing, and I say what I see here the Father saying. If we see what we see Jesus do, if we do what we see Jesus doing, if we say what we hear Jesus saying, then we'll never be guilty of doing or saying the wrong thing. Now, so many times when we get involved in stuff, we depend on the Lord stopping us if it's the wrong thing to do. If God stops me, if God says no, then I won't do it. Folks, listen to me. We ought not get involved and let, don't wait for God to say no to stop us, but don't even start it unless God says yes. You understand what I'm trying to say? We don't, we don't even start it until God says yes. Now, if we start doing something that's not God's will, he will stop us, but we're not going to enjoy the way he stops us maybe. But if we act when we know, once we know that it's God's will, then we ought let not anything stop us. When we determine God's will for us to do something, then we move and we act and we work at it until it is accomplished. Once you're convinced, then move. He moved only when he saw God move. Uh, then you can't be stopped. If you look at... Uh, the feeding of the 5,000. You remember there was like historians and uh, scholars tell us that that 5,000, it says 5,000 men. And there's a good chance if you count women and children that there could be fifteen or 20,000 people there that Jesus needed to feed and he asked his disciples uh, do we have food to feed them? And uh, see, the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus was looking. Remember I said he had double vision? He was looking at both sides. He was looking at the physical, and he was also looking as at the, uh, the spiritual. There was, a, there was a meeting of those two wor worlds. There was a there was a butting of heads of those two worlds, the physical 
and the spiritual. They were there to listen to Jesus uh, teach, but the physical side of it was that they were hungry and, uh, and they needed to be fed. And, and Jesus said, where shall we buy bread? He said that to just prove his point. He wanted to teach his disciples something. Philip, right offhand, failed the test. He said it would take a year's salary to buy enough bread for that many people. And, uh, and then uh, Andrew, he started off with the correct answer. He said uh, the first statement of faith was, here is a boy who has five loaves and two fish. See, he came up with a spiritual answer. A boy who had a lunch of five loaves and two fish, but then he failed because what did he say? What are they among so many? See, what are they among so many? But Jesus had that double vision. He looked at both the physical and the spiritual. Jesus saw the thousands that needed to be fed, but on the spiritual side, he saw the unlimited resources of God. So he could see both. And our problem today is that in most cases, we look just at the physical side. And we say, there's no way we can... And by the way, by the way, listen to me. I'm going physical side and spiritual side. I'm in no way indicating that these are the, the spiritual folks and you are the physical folks. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I just wanted to make that clear. I wanted you to understand I'm not judging in any way whatsoever. It just so that's the way that I'm doing it. Jesus saw the thousands, but he also saw the unlimited resources of God. Instead of just seeing with our physical perception, we need to start seeing with our spiritual perception the supreme dynamic of the Christian life is the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ in the life of the believer that we have been born again and with him all things are possible. Amen. That's what Christmas brings to us. He allows Christ to become a part of our lives that we can see both the spirit the spiritual and the physical. You see, we can see both sides. We can have double vision. Folks, listen to me. When any contest comes your way, when any difficulty comes your way, when any need comes your way, remember, there is a physical side and a spiritual side, and we need to see with both. We need to recognize the difficulties. We need to understand 
what's going on, but then we need to grasp the fact that with God, nothing is impossible. That's what the virgin birth means, that with God, nothing is impossible, and we can prevail in Christ Jesus. The last thing that I want to talk about. I gave you those four principles. Now let me just say this. The hidden secret, the hidden part of those four principles is communication with God. <laughs> communication. It seems so simple that all Christians need to do is to see what God is up to and get involved in what he is already doing. But it must be said that there is one master principle behind it all that makes it all reality. And that is the hidden life of communication with God. That we get into our closet and we pray and we commune and we communicate with the living God. Because that's where our power comes. That's where the victory comes. It's in our relationship and our communion and our communication with the living God. You see, we take on the characteristics of that which we pay most attention to. If we feed the physical we're going to take on the characteristics of the physical. But if we feed the spiritual, we're going to take on the characteristics of the spiritual. You understand what I'm trying to say? We need to, we need to, we need to spend that time with the living God. See, anyone can see the acts of God, but it takes an ultimate relationship and intimate communion to know God's ways. We can see God's actions, but it takes intimate communion to know God's ways. You see, His ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and it takes that intimate communion and communication to understand his ways. Psalm 103.7 said, talking about Moses, it says, God showed Moses his ways and his acts to, toward the children of Israel. 